Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. It is good to be here with you today. I would rather be here with you than enjoying a relaxing vacation up in the mountains, free of anxiety, no internet. That's just how much I love you. Okay. Just thank God it was enlightening. How you doing this week? How you doing with your green chili? Anybody picking up the good stuff? Let's see your hands. How many of you got some hatch green chili? It's pretty good this year. I keep getting more and more and more. I know that I've served enough because my son said, Dad, do you think we could kind of go off menu right now? Everything green chili all the time? I said, okay. For one day, fine. But I love the seasons. We've made it all the way to the final portion of our study in the book of James. As you know, if you've been coming for some time, we've titled it Reset because James is a book that is very close to the beginning and the, of Christianity right at the beginning. He's also the younger brother of Jesus. And so the book has a very Jewish flavor which lets us know uh, the original audience and his association with the church, probably the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. But this final study we've called Waiting with God. But what we'll find in that is that there's some, some waiting that takes place that he's calling us to be, uh, exhorting us actually, to be patient, to be long-suffering, to wait. Something good is coming. But in that, he gives us some very specific things to do along the way, okay? Very specific things that are good for the life of the church and good for each one of us. And if there's one thing that we need right now, in this world, especially as believers, is the concept of holding on to that which is true. Traditions that we hold on to are only as good as the principles that form them. Traditions that we hold on to are only as good as the principles that form them. And so, Right now, when it seems like there's so much, (coughs) excuse me, flux in the world, right? A lot of opinions, a lot of shouting, a lot of screaming. With that going on, there is confusion abounding in every direction. What news is the true news? We've come to the point now where we have the term fake news. We find that not all media sources 
are reliable. And so what do we believe? What do we think? It's time to hit recess once again and hold on to the things that are true, that have been true, that will remain true beyond us. See, those, that's the big deal. It's not holding on to antiquated ideas that are outdated. It's like coming up one day and someone says, well, we have new scientific research that human beings no longer need water to survive. That's just an old superstition, right? That has been correct from the beginning. People need sustenance. Things like that don't change. And why? Because we have a creator who brought us into being and set us into a garden, set us into a place to function with that environment. So there are things that never change. And those things are given to us by God. And if we're going to hold on for the ride, the ride that's coming, it's important that we, we reset our hearts to what God wants. We reset our minds to what he desires for us. And that is our prayer, that we would wait for him, but not only wait for him, but wait with him to unfold his plan totally and uniquely Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that we can depend upon you in every way. And Lord, as we look at these final verses from the book of James, we pray, Lord, that there would be more transformation, more challenge. Lord, maybe these are things that we have practiced, but somehow have drifted away from them in principle. Lord, we pray instead of drifting away that we, we would be drawn to you by your current, leading to your throne, leading to the foot of the place where you reign. We submit this to you, Lord, in a time when things seem so out of pocket, out of place, chaotic. But we know, Lord, wherever you are, there is peace. And so we pray for that peace, a peace that passes our own understanding, but a peace that is more powerful than any anxiety we encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's say our affirmation together. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art, and may his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right. All right. Waiting the right way. Let's look at verse 7. Waiting together. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Notice there's a contrast from what we studied last week. Last week he has these strong, strong statements, retort against those who are rich. He said, those of you who are rich, and he's speaking of those who are oppressive to other people in their wealth. 
Now he turns back to the family, to the fellowship, to the brothers and sisters, and he says, Brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James, in my estimation, is a very good preacher. He uses lots of illustrations. And he says, be like the farmer. How many of you have been around farms growing up? Have any understanding of them? Good. I see your calluses from here. But farming is very rewarding, but farming is hard work. So many times during the, the season of planting, we would hope, I grew up farming cotton, cotton and maize and corn and wheat, and when we would plant the seeds, we would hope that it was planted deep enough, that there was enough moisture in the ground so that that, that seed could begin to decay and, and grow, and out of that we hope that there was enough <coughs> room and looseness within the soil that that plant could make it through and break through and get to the sunlight that it needed. But it was always kind of nerve-wracking when you wait because you're, you're, you've planted the seed and you're not going to see anything for a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks before anything comes out of the ground. And I can just remember talking to the farmers that I would work with and they're like, oh man, I hope it comes up. I hope we don't have to plow this under. So the farmer has to wait the farmer has to watch and wait. The farmer has to look at the, the surroundings and, and view the weather and to see if the crop's going to make it. Um, I don't know if you get out that much, but right now is the time for very... It, there's so many good fruit. There's so much good uh, vegetables that are in season right now. And I love cooking in season. I don't know about you guys, but I, lo I love cooking all the time, but in season, it's just amazing. If you're not eating corn right now, you've got a problem. It is so good. It is so sweet. It is so fresh. And even if you're on some special diet, I think corn on the cob is holy. It's perfect. There's nothing that can come against you. It's like a heavenly vitamin. But so much is in season, but you see the fruit but before that happens, there was waiting and waiting and caring for. And he says, be like the farmer, brothers and sisters. Wait patiently for the Lord's coming. When he uses the illustration of a farmer, he's, he's giving us the idea that there is work involved. It's not just sitting back and waiting. You ever waited at a bus stop or waited for a friend to come by and pick you up? so forth, and you just sort of sit there. There's nothing to do. The idea here is that there's plenty to do, that the Lord will come back during a time and a season of harvest. Now is the time of planting. Now is the time to do the work, but wait patiently. But you know, when you have something to do to occupy you, you have something that is reasonable, something to contribute, it makes waiting all that more fulfilling. So think of the farmer. Verse 8, he says, 
you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now you say, well, gosh, that's been about 2,000 years. How near is near? Well, I guess I can say safely that it is much nearer than back then, right? God knows his ways. God knows his plans. And God has made promises to us. Jesus made promises that he would return. But when things get tough, we want him to return sooner, don't we? It's easy to get freaked out and impatient, right? Especially what's going on. I hear so many people saying, Lord, come quickly. I just wish the rapture would happen right now. And we get impatient, especially when things are tumultuous and there's a lot of uncertainty. Any of you feel anxious from time to time throughout the week? If you don't, I'll try to make you feel anxious. I can give you a couple of radio shows and news channels and podcasts that if I'm feeling at ease, uh, I just turn them on and I'm right back where I was before. But here's the problem with anxiety in brothers and, with brothers and sisters. It can lead to irritation and disunity within your community. And I consider believers who attend a fellowship together, believers maybe in a, a broader sense within a certain town, we could consider them a community. That is, that we know things about each other. We pray for each other. We, we get to know things about each other's families, what our hobbies are, what our prayer needs are. We, we become a community that functions together, not separate. Now, he goes on here to verse 9 and addresses this. He said, don't grumble against anyone, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You say, well, what, what are you talking about there? He's saying, you and I, within our communities, are not doing anything that goes out of God's vision or God's scope of authority, period. Parents, <clears throat> how blessed are you when you hear from the other room your kids fighting and screaming at each other? It just, it just blesses my heart, Pastor. It makes me feel so good that they're so alive. I just love hearing kids yell and scream. It's the thing that drives a parent completely insane, isn't it? And, and you can, you've always, you're, you're fighting and you know that your parents have told you not to. And all of a sudden you look up and there is your parent standing in the doorway. That's the picture here. He says, God is never far away. God is coming soon to reconcile all things and to fix all things. All the things that make us anxious right now come from the sinfulness of humanity and the supernatural evil from Satan. You say, well, that's convenient to just blame it all on someone else. Well, who else are you going to blame it on? One of the hardest things to do is to take responsibility for your own actions, especially like in a, a, a marriage relationship or, or a friendship or a work relationship. 
It's so easy to spot what somebody else is doing wrong. And if they would do it better, your life would be better, and that's all that really matters. He says, therefore, don't grumble. There, there, this requires humility. Waiting with God for what's coming is good. We could all in here today, I believe, say, I want God's rule on the earth. I trust him more than any human that has led in this world. And we have suffered because of it. Some have been more benevolent and beneficial to the world. Others have been absolute monsters. So what do we say? Lord, come. That word in the back of the the book of Revelation, Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. Because we know he is the ultimate solution. Therefore, we wait for his coming but we wait with him. We wait with him. I know I mention my dogs too much, but hey, I'm a creature of habit. One of the things that the dogs have routine, if your dog doesn't have routine, you got to get them on a routine. But my dogs, when it gets close within an hour of the time to eat, they don't carry a watch. They don't have any sundials or anything like that, but they have an internal clock that tells them what time it is. And so one of the things that happens around our house is they kind of get excited about an hour out and they think they're going to fool you, you know, and you're not. And so one of the things we tell them, it's not time yet. And so what they'll typically do is come wherever I am sit down or stand with me and just wait with me. Because they know it's coming, right? They know it's coming. We we don't know exactly when you're going to say, because ultimately I have the power to feed them. I don't leave out a big bowl and just let them eat all day. I would have, I'd have to roll my dogs around like a bowling ball. Talk about self-control issues. They make me look like a saint. But they're waiting. And, and they're waiting with me, looking for me, that signal for me when I'll say, and I say it in their language, it's not in my language. I don't say, would you like to eat? I say it in dog baby talk. <laughs> it's so terrible. I'll say, I'll go like, don't eat. Don't eat, because they're so dumb. I can't say it in real English. You have to dumb it down. Don't eat, and they just go crazy, and they're so happy, and they dance. I know it's terrible to think of human beings as dogs, but bear with me. We're waiting with God. We're looking to him. We believe that he, what he says is true. We believe that he's going to come, but we're waiting for his signal because it will only be by his signal, period, period. And so we wait with him. Now, he says, never forget the Lord is near in time of stress. And remember, we're waiting on, on him and his revelation 
in his time. All right. Waiting with dedication. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets were folks who had a very not-so-desirable job. You could think, well, I'd like to be a prophet. It sounds profitable. I hear the grumbling. Don't, don't sin. All right. The prophets, they had been called by God to speak to the people. They were like God's messengers. And you'd say, well, that could be a good job if you wanted to manipulate people. I'm a prophet. Listen to me. What is your prophecy? Bring me a plate of food. <laughs> Rub my feet, thus saith the Lord. It seems like you could manipulate a lot of people, and so prophets did. But what's interesting in Israel is that he said, listen, if a prophet says something to you and it doesn't come true, he's a false prophet, and I didn't send them. In the New Testament, he says, if a prophet makes a statement, you know, have a meal in my name, he's probably a joke. So there's some criteria there. It wasn't a good job because God didn't always have super nice things to say to people. And the prophets were often the bearers of bad news. But they had to speak forth his word. They had to say what God wanted them to say, but had to wait patiently for that fulfillment. One particular person who stands out is a guy by the name of Job. Job is known as someone who waited patiently. Look at verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. You've seen the Lord, that what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. All right. If you'll remember, Job is probably one of the oldest books, if not the oldest book in Scripture. It is a very, very long, protracted story of a man who was humble before God, who loved God, whose family was blessed financially, spiritually, across the board. And then all the scene appears in heaven where Satan is speaking to, to God and he says, listen, Job, Job doesn't love you for nothing. You made him rich. He's got plenty. Who wouldn't love you? Take everything away from you and he will curse you to your face. And God says, okay, you're on. And so Job gets plagues, covered in sores, loses everything, his family except for his wife, everything's just wiped out. And there he is, just covered in wounds. And his wife is like, son, you ought to end this thing. Just curse God and die. I don't think she said it in a mean way. It was just like, relieve yourself from the suffering and your integrity. And then he has friends who come to him and explain all the reasons why he's going through it. And none of it is right. 
because they're blaming him. They don't know the story, and neither does he, what's going on in heaven. And so after it was all over, God restored everything to him. But God speaks to him and tells him what's up. And Job responds this way, because God showed great mercy and compassion on him. He said, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not, under, did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you. This is so good. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job never gave up on God. Satan was wrong. His idea is that he's only in it for the comfort, only in it for the blessing. But God knew his servant more. He knew that Job loved him without restraint. Job thought he knew God, but he says, I love that line. It's one of the most powerful lines I've held with me throughout my life. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I heard about you. I thought I knew you, but now I'm amazed. He remained humble. He didn't shake his fist at God. He held in there, and God was merciful to Job in the end. The times that you and I are going through can be very trying. And one of the questions that is good if you're looking for answers and you're researching is the word why. But when it comes to why is God allowing this, you may not get the answer until a long time from now. What is God doing? Why is he taking us through this? What is happening to me? I actually didn't do anything. Why is the world the way it is? What is in his plans? What is it? You may not know. But if you're like Job, you'll wait patiently. We will wait patiently. We'll remain humble, recognizing that we don't know everything. And then we will receive the mercy of God himself. That is a well-worn pattern. Job's friends, who came up with all of these reasons and blamed Job and so forth, were rebuked by God. You know the best thing to do when you don't know the answer? I've learned this over the years. When I was a young pastor, I felt like I had to come up with an answer, and a lot of them really sounded stupid. But now I'm more comfortable and feel more true when someone asks me a question and I say, I don't know. I have no idea. That's a true and honest answer. I don't know because I don't fully know 
the heart and mind of God, and he doesn't fully reveal all of his plans to you or me. Therefore, we wait patiently. All right. He adds something else in here, which it's, it's hard to be somewhat thematic, but James adds something else in here, which is very, very important. And he, he talks about a speaking with clarity. Job didn't misspeak. He says we need to speak with clarity. In verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned or caught in a lie. You see, listen to the words of Jesus. He had heard these from him before in the book of Matthew chapter 5. He said, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, which you have no authority and no right over, or by earth, for it is his footstool, which you have no authority or power over, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Jerusalem doesn't belong to you. And do not swear by your own head, for you can't even make one hair white or black. However, there are certain people in your life that can make your hair turn white. I know one thing for sure, you can't make it grow. $2,000 later. All you need is a simple yes or no. Anything beyond comes from the evil one. Flipping through my Instagram, which I do, because I, it, Instagram's kind of nice. People don't say much bad things on there. It's usually just showing a picture of their family member, a cat, or a pie. One or the other, it doesn't really matter. And I like them all. But they'll have these ads, and so one of the ads comes from master class. And so they're trying to get you to take this class, and then you look at it, and it's like, 110 bucks for five 30-minute class? Okay, sure. Um, but one came on recently and said, you know how to tell someone is lying to you? They give you more answer than, you need to give, than they need to give. Uh, they could simply say yes or no, or could say, no, I haven't been involved with this, or yes, I haven't. He said, but a person who's lying knows that they're lying, so therefore they feel the obligation to try to convince you that they're not lying. And he said, one of the signs that you can tell when somebody is lying is they start giving long explanations about things. Things like, oh, I would never do anything like that. How could you think that I would ever do something like that? Don't you think higher of me than that? Don't you understand who I am? You're lying. <laughs> Jesus said it. James says it. Yes. No. He says, because the practice was, is someone... It, trying to get to the truth of something, before you had a chance to say anything, they would go, listen, man, I swear on the temple. Like maybe and now you've heard people say, I swear on my mother's life. It tells you what they think about their mother. Anyway, uh, but I'll swear by the temple. I'll swear by God in heaven. And he's saying, you don't have any authority on any of those things. 
God isn't obliged to back you up, okay, and prove that you're true. He's saying, your word should be enough. We should be able to speak honestly to each other and say, nah, or yes, I like that. And that's good enough. Because we've come to understand that that person will just tell us straight up. It's not always easy being around people who love to tell you the truth straight up. There, there is such a thing that we practice called polite lying, you know. I got this new outfit today. It's all completely red with a big canary on top of my hat. What do you think? It's exciting. It's, it's so different. It's so you. Uh, You know, the other person comes along who has no compassion and they go, what happened to you? Did you have a stroke and then go to the store? What happened? Looks terrible. Get that off. He says here, it's better that we're known for just saying yes or no. Take responsibility for your own words, your own actions. Don't grab, drag God or anyone else into your commitments, okay? Simplify our speech with one another so we we can learn to trust one another. That's, That's the point they're getting to. Listen, it'll bode better for yourself and for those around you. A simple yes or no will do. All right, so we're told to wait patiently, and we're told to wait with perspective, even in suffering, but we're waiting with God. The next few verses lay out some different types of things that we can do during our waiting, and I've called this active waiting. Look at verse 13. Be flexible. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. If anyone is sick, let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them. You see, there's a need to be flexible. Within a community, when he's talking about us as brothers and sisters, we're going to find that at any given day, any given time, there will be a myriad or lots of various points, uh, lots of various um, perspectives going on. Right now in this room, there may be some, one of you is really dealing with a medical issue and it's weighing heavy on your heart. So others are just so happy, you know, things are going good and I'm excited. It's the, the day of the Lord and it's Labor Day weekend and I don't have to go to work on Monday. And they're excited. Then someone else says, I'm in trouble, man. Hard times, bad things going on. We will find that as we rub shoulders, as we spend time with each other. But he says we need to be flexible and be attentive while we're waiting, actively waiting, paying attention to the people around you. And someone comes up and says, hey, man, I just got a raise. Then jump for joy. You don't have to go, boy, I wish I would get a raise. Bummer. You just blew it. You ruined it. Uh, Someone else is hurting and they need man, they just need consolation. They need someone right there with them. We need to be flexible. We need to be attentive because we don't want to walk up to someone and say, well, I'm sorry, you're having such a bad time. But you know what? Probably the best day I've ever had. 
If we're not thinking and we're not flexible, we're we're not going to be able to be there with anyone else. You, You get the point that he's saying here. You and I have to be attentive to the community around us, okay? We also have to be compassionate. He said, is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, that's pretty tough if you say, well, this is what the Bible said. The Bible said it. I believe it. That means everybody who gets prayed for by the elders of the church, when anointed with oil, will be made well. Well, we know that that is not necessarily true. I think he is giving a general principle of actions to be taken. But one thing for sure, what's interesting when you look at the Greek language here, the word here, alipho, which is used for anoint, means to smear or to rub on. When used in the sacramental sense of anointing someone for ministry or special service and so forth, it is the word creo. And it means more of a sacrificial, no, I mean, sacramental religious thing in mind. You see, doctors in that day, medical care in that day was not very far advanced. They had ways of dealing with certain forms of sickness, with herbs and so forth. But one of the ways that when, if you had somebody who was sick in bed, they would usually, people didn't take a lot of baths back then. But you would, you would take that person and anoint their head with oil or the part of their body, that good olive oil, and cleanse it. And, and oftentimes it would bring healing, but it was a soothing act. And it was more of a, a, an expression of hopeful medic, medicine, okay, for that person. And so there is an element here of having faith and praying for the person at the same time administering medical care. And that's what we do, don't we? We, we don't say, well, we shouldn't believe in doctors. We know that so many of our friends, maybe ourselves, have been helped dramatically. But for the believer, it has to be coupled with faith and prayer. Faith and prayer, period, okay? Now, here's the balance. We have all known very righteous and good people who have gotten sick and who have died, right? And you can't go to them and say, well, what was your sin? And there's a balance that we find in the New Testament. There are some types of sicknesses that they say, be healed of your sickness and your sins forgiven. That seems to be something that God knows about. Maybe it was a cause of their their sickness. But there are others who they said, Jesus, you healed this this man here is, is sick. Who sinned, him or his parents? He said, neither one. But that the glory of God would be revealed and your eyes would be open. You get the picture there, okay? Listen, some sinners we know that live in just a horrible life against God are as healthy as a horse. Listen, what we do, because we don't know, 
we take the person to God, we pray for the person, we lay them before God, and then we ask for mercy, believing and trusting. Not doubting in, in, in a lack of faith, but believing that God will heal them. And then we leave it to God. All right. Verse 16. In our active waiting, he says, be prayerful and stay close. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says, note that we are to confess our sins. Now, let me give you a little helpful advice in this. Be careful who you open your heart to. We're told in Ephesians to guard our heart with the breastplate. Guard it and protect it. That means that you can't be vulnerable with everyone. It's ridiculous. People, you never know what a person's motives are. So you can't fully share everything about you with every person because someone may take that information and try to hurt you with it. Or maybe they can't help themselves and just gossip. But you sh we should be developing relationships within the body of Christ, meaningful, in-depth relationships where you're able to share some of your heart, more of your heart, and, and that person you can share everything with and confess your sins to them because you know that they'll pray for you and they'll protect you. Like when you confess your sins to God, you should feel that way with Him. But guard your heart. Be careful. But confess them because confessing them takes the power away from them. And they'll be healed from the effects of sin, he says, and be restored to spiritual health. He goes on to say that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain, and the land for three and a half years. He again prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. I don't have much time here, but simply to say this. Elijah was a prophet during the time of the Bonnie and Clyde of the Old Testament, Ahab and Jezebel. And they were ruthless. They led the people into idolatry. And, and, and he said, listen, Ahab, it's not going to rain. It's going to rain for about three years, and it will not rain without my word. See you later. God told him to go hide. Later on, he has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. God wins. And finally, it rains. It rains. Elijah had to believe that what God said was true. He had had enough relationship with him to know that it would happen because of experience with God. You and I have to, at some point, stand up on what the Bible says, stand up on the things, stand up for the things that God has shown us, and believe them and trust in them. Well, my friends are saying this, this is what they're saying uh, in this recent article I read in the, the newspaper. Trust God. Believe God, because God will come through. Finally, verse 19, he said, be ready to restore. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the faith and someone should bring back that person, remember this, 
Whoever turns a sinner from their error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Be on the lookout right now when, when everything is tumultuous, when everything is telling people, you know, it's tough, it's scary, who's, I, I just got to think of myself. You're living in a time where, you know, people ask the question, are people going to come back to church, Pastor Dave? And I'm like, I have no idea. But know this, those of you who are watching on the web and the rest of you out there, we're going to come looking for you. And we know where you live. So I guess you'll be back in church. But be on the lookout for those who've been harmed, those who are giving up. Don't give them to the devil. Find them, love them, bring them back in. Count them as worthy. Be patient with them, be gentle. And don't give up on them, okay? Don't give up on them. Some of you here are, can be reminded of people who didn't give up on you and you're so thankful that they didn't. Don't give up on each other. Don't just say, okay, they've turned away, I'm done. But be there, ready to restore. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. Let me just tell you of a couple of things that are coming. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna start a new series. And we're titling, Rise Up, God is Going to Show Up. And I think it's going to be really exciting. I've been preparing messages for this, and I think it's going to be great. But there's another thing that we're going to do. Forty days <coughs> away from the presidential election, <coughs> we're going to start a campaign here at the church to get every person involved in what we're going to call 40 days. And it's going to be 40 days of fasting and prayer. Not that you're going to have to fast for 40 days, but we're going to have a daily plan of, of the things that we can pray for. We may be fast, ways to fast intermittently throughout the day, or maybe water fast. Uh, definitely, I am calling for a media fast because I don't want, I mean, the Lord showed me, he says, don't let the people of your fellowship get trashed by what's coming. And so I want us to, I think the Lord wants us to be ready, fasted, prayed up, filled with his word, filled with his perspective, so that whatever happens at this election, we are hearing from God more than we're hearing from anybody else. And we'll be praying for revival, and I'm excited about it. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.